John. This is Dan. And this is She's Not a Slut Yet. This is a podcast about three friends watching cult movies and drinking together. This week, we will be reviewing John's pick, American Psycho, which was released in 2000. Dan, let's start. I don't want to be associated with this pick, man. I just don't. (laughs) Too late. All right. So, some box office information on this little flick uh, American Psycho had a $7 million budget with an opening of $4.9 million. Uh, domestically overall made 15 million international 19 million it won eight awards and had 13 nominations on top of that overall on imdb it has six point seven point six stars and then it has a 69 percent on rotten tomatoes and then 85 percent for the audience score so there's kind of a rundown of all the uh ratings but seems to be pretty well liked as far as critics go all right nadine give me something interesting about this movie i didn't know about All right, so I have lots of stuff here for you guys. I'm going to try to keep it short. During the shooting of the film, Christian Bale spoke in an American accent offset at all times. At the rap party, when he began to speak in his native Welsh accent, many of the crew thought he was speaking that way as an accent for another film. They had thought the entire time that he actually was American. The single biggest cost on the film was actually purchasing the rights to various songs used throughout the movie. Looking for a way to create the character of Patrick Bateman, Christian Bale stumbled onto a Tom Cruise appearance in The Late Show with David Letterman. And this was in 1993 that this happened. According to co-writer and director Mary Heron, Bale saw in Cruise this very intense friendliness with nothing behind the eyes. And Bale subsequently based the character of Bateman on that. He also used Nicolas Cage's character in Vampire's Kiss as an inspiration for the character. The vast majority of the dialogue in the movie is taken word for word from the novel by Brett Easton Ellis. To block the freeway sex scene with two prostitutes, co-writer and director Mary Heron and Christian Bale watched X-rated sex tapes. In her commentary, Heron says Bale made stick figure drawings of the positions he thought would work the best. During his... I know, right? Isn't that awkward? Anyway. (laughs) During his big chainsaw scene, Christian Bale would happily and literally... Hang out between takes wearing nothing but a sock over his penis and some tennis shoes. Fucking amazing. I know, right? He was like, yep, confident. <laughs> this is how it's going to be. Well, he was so fucking shredded and ripped, I would be too. Exactly, can't blame him. Yeah, like, dude had an ass. <laughs> the name Bateman is derived from the main character of the psycho film franchise, Norman Bates, which I had assumed any horror lover would know, because I picked it up right away. While the novel American Psycho is set in 1989, the film adaptation is set in 1987. This is evidenced by the scene where Patrick is briefly reading Zagat's survey in 1987. Also, the televised speech by President Ronald Reagan, as shown in the final scene in the film, also occurred in 1987, whereas Reagan had already left the White House by the time the events in the original novel took place. Uh, for Willem Dafoe's scenes, Mary Heron instructed him to play each one in three different styles. One, as if he was suspicious of Patrick, Two, as if he had no clue as to Pat Bateman's guilt. And three, as if he is undecided. Willem Dafoe was such a good addition to this movie. I mean, he's good he's in any a... movie. I think he's fantastic. Brett Easton Ellis was sent several death threats after American Psycho was published. After the film was completed and, by extension, his punishing gym and healthy lifestyle, Christian Bale admitted to co-writer uh, Guinevere and Health Turner that he was so fucking sick of having to eat chicken breasts. Author Brett at Easton Ellis based the character of Patrick Bateman off of his own father, which I think is pretty fucking bleak. That's depressing. I know. 
In the novel, Patrick Bateman is way more misogynistic, racist, sexist, homophobic, and xenophobic character. These characteristics were overall heavily toned down in the film in order to make his character more tolerable, even though some of those characteristics were still subtly present, which I did not think was subtle whatsoever. They were very much present. I can't believe they were worse than the book. I didn't actually read the book, but I can't believe they were worse than the book. That just sounds terrible. I know. Christian Bale underwent extensive dental work in order to play the character of Patrick Bateman. It is unclear whether or not this was a personal choice or whether he was instructed to do so by the director. Hey, you're a European. Fix your fucking teeth. All right. I mean, he's got great teeth now. I I have no idea what his teeth looked like before. (laughs) I don't think there's going to be pictures you can find either. Probably not. There has been and still is an ongoing debate on whether this film is a drama, thriller, or horror film. Someone even argued that the film is more of a black comedy. I think it's kind of a mixture, a lot of, of all of it, but personal opinion. I think it's a low-end thriller, but it's. I think it's definitely got thriller. I have to say it's definitely a black comedy for me, but yeah, continue. Well, then, we'll, we'll argue about that in a bit. Yeah. So the two scenes yeah, featured unexpected... So the two scenes featured unexpected improvisation by Christian Bale when Bateman is jumping rope. He starts to skip and cross his jump rope as a schoolgirl rope. Bale also surprised co-writer and director Mary Heron even more by starting to dance as Bateman was preparing to kill Paul Allen, which that part I actually thought was pretty funny. And that's one of the very few parts where I would think it was a comedy because I was not expecting him to do what he was doing while he was doing it and not have the other actor react to him in any way, shape, or form. All right, all right. Let's go over the general synopsis of the movie that we uh, butchered down to make it a little bit easier to describe. The uh, movie starts with Patrick Bateman and his friends eating in an upscale restaurant while complaining that it's a chick's restaurant. The guys then talk about work and pay for their reasonable $570 bill. The group of men then go over to a club where Bateman gets told he has to pay cash at the bar and he has a mini meltdown when the bartender turns around calling her profane names. The next morning, Bateman goes over his morning routine, which was oh so glorious, before heading to work where he tells his secretary never to wear her unflattering outfit again. Bateman is not shown actually working, but filling out his social calendar instead. The scene then switches to Bateman and his fiancée, Evelyn, on their way to dinner. Bateman is annoyed with her because she's talking about preparations for their wedding while he's just trying to listen to a, you know, a new album of music. Once at the restaurant, Bateman explains that he is aware that his fiancée is having an affair with his friend Timothy, and he's alright with it, because, you know, he's also having an affair with her closest friend, who is also engaged to one of his other co-workers. The table then gets to, begins to pick on Evelyn's cousins because they believe in helping others and social change. After dinner, Bateman goes to take money out of an ATM, and as he does so, he sees a pretty woman walk by. Bateman catches up her at the crosswalk, and the two are seen walking off together after she gives him a double take. The scene then shifts to the next morning where Bateman is seen arguing with how the dry cleaner cleaned his expensive red-stained sheets. An acquaintance walks in as Bateman is screaming at the dry cleaner and convinces her to take over his argument with the dry cleaner while explaining that he needs, well, he needs to leave. The scene then shifts to show Bateman at home in his underwear, watching porn while trying to convince Courtney, the woman he's having an affair with, to go out with him that night. He eventually convinces her to say yes by saying he can get them reservations at Dorcia, the restaurant everybody wants to get into. Well, unable to get a table at Dorcia, Bateman takes Courtney to Barcadia and is able to convince her, you know, it is Dorcia, and she's too high on lithium to really notice. 
The next morning at the office, Courtney's fiancé thanks Bateman for taking care of his fiancé the night before and is completely blown off by him when Paul Allen approaches him. Though Paul Allen confuses him for another co-worker named Marcus, and then he has an inner monologue about his hair, Bateman plays along until his friends arrive and Paul Allen hands over the business card. Bateman and his friends then compare their business cards, and Bateman becomes pissed when he finds out that his business card is not the best. That night, Bateman is walking down an alley and offers money to a homeless man before beginning to berate man and finally stabbing him to death and beating the man's dog to death. Great scene. The scene then shifts the show. That sounds really bad after I say that. <laughs> the scene then shifts the show Bateman during a spa treatment as he worries over his bloodlust spilling into his everyday life and that his mask of sanity may slip. Meanwhile, the, uh, the spa treatment lady is like, ooh, nice skin. It's, pretty, it's actually kind of funny. The scene again shifts to show Bateman at his Christmas party, angrily staring at Paul Allen, who is talking to Courtney. Bateman approaches Paul Allen and invites him to dinner, and says he will bring Cecilia, the real Marcus's fiance. Paul Allen agrees and then leaves the party. Later that week, Bateman and Paul Allen have their dinner at the Lower End restaurant, and Paul seems upset that Bateman did not pick somewhere fancier. The two then go to Bateman's apartment after dinner, where Bateman begins to act, you know, erratically as he talks about music. While Paul Allen is drunkenly noticing Bateman putting on a raincoat, Bateman dances to the loud music and then whacks Paul Allen in the face with an axe. Great fucking scene, by the way. Just repeatedly swinging the axe. It was good. Um, Patrick then drags Paul Allen through his lobby and out to a cab in a giant bag. When putting Paul Allen's body in the cab trunk, his coworker worker sees him and begins asking, Hey, where'd you get that bag? Bateman answers and then leaves to Paul Allen's place. Once at Paul Allen's place, he becomes upset that Paul's place overlooks the part and is clearly more expensive than his, before he begins to pack up Paul's clothes. Bateman then leaves an away recording on Paul's voicemail, stating Paul's going to London. Later that week, Detective Donald Kimball stops by Bateman's office to talk about Paul's disappearance. The detective seems suspicious of Bateman at first, but then gives him the status of the case and says something, sometimes people just disappear. Bateman then says he has a lunch date to get rid of the detective. That evening, Bateman picks up a blonde prostitute and hires another over the phone to come to his apartment. He then introduces himself to the prostitutes as Paul Allen and assigns them their own fake names. Bateman then puts music on and talks about it as he takes girls to the bedroom and records their threesome. In the middle of the night, Bateman goes for round two as he takes a hanger and a knife out of his top drawer. The girl then leaves bloodied and beaten. The scene then shifts to Bateman at the bar with his friends when Luis comes up to them and shows them this business card. Lewis. <laughs> Lewis, sorry. Bateman gets pissed off and follows Lewis to the bathroom and clearly to kill him. Lewis, though, confuses Bateman's hands on his neck and says, come on, and freaks Bateman out by kissing his wrist. <laughs> That's also funny. Bateman then makes an excuse to leave the bar. The next day at the office, Bateman finds Detective Kimball talking to his secretary, Jean, and brings him to his office. Bateman then attempts to give him an alibi to his whereabouts when Paul disappeared before arranging a lunch date with a detective for the following week. That night, Bateman goes to the club with his friends and goes home with the blonde model. The next morning in his office, you can see him playing with a lock of the model's hair when he, you know, works on the crossword. As he does the crossword, he asks his secretary out for dinner. She says yes, and he tells her to meet him at this place. That night at his apartment, Bateman distracts Jean as he goes to kill her with a nail gun. Just as he's about to shoot her in the head, his fiancée Evelyn calls, and Bateman tells Jean to go home. The next day, at his lunch with Kimball, they discuss Bateman's whereabouts, and Kimball reveals that, according to Marcus, Bateman was with him and a few other friends having dinner. The detective then states that he believes Paul Allen really did go to London after having a breakdown. 
That night, Bateman finds Christy, the prostitute he picked up previously, and convinces her to go to Paul's apartment with him to meet up with his friend Elizabeth. Patrick convinces the two women to sleep with him. In the middle, Christy tries to leave. As she goes to leave, Elizabeth starts screaming as the sheets soak in blood. Bateman then chases her through the apartment naked with a chainsaw as he finds as she finds the bodies of Bateman's previous victims. Eventually, Bateman yeets the chainsaw off of the top of the railing down on top of her as she runs down the stairs and kills her. The scene then shifts to Bateman and Evelyn having lunch together, and while he breaks up with her, of course, he was also drawing the, uh, the, the beautiful artistic work of his chainsaw massacre. The scene then shifts to show Bateman taking money from an ATM when a kitten walks by. Bateman hallucinates that the ATM is telling him to feed the kitten to it, and goes to shoot the kitten when the passerby tries to stop him. Bateman shoots the woman instead, and ends up going on the run as the police veneer chase him. The police die in a shootout with Bateman, and he runs to an office building, shoots the night's guard and the janitor, and then runs to his office where he calls his lawyer and confesses to everything he's done. The next day, Bateman goes through his routine like normal before he heads over to Paul Allen's place to find it's been cleared out and painted over. Bateman sneaks past the realtor and climbs through the closet where he has the body to find the bodies are missing as well. As he looks in the closet in disbelief, the realtor comes up behind him and asks if he is her next appointment. Bateman says no, and the realtor warns him away as if she knew what was in the closet before. Confused by what just happened, Bateman calls Jean and tells her he will not be in that day. After hanging up, Jean becomes suspicious of Bateman's behavior over the phone and finds his personal planner in the desk with the names and dates scheduled with the horrific drawings of the women he'd murdered. As Jean looks through the planner horrified, Bateman goes to his lunch with his friends where he sees the lawyer he had called and confessed to. Bateman approaches the lawyer about the voicemail, and the lawyer clearly believes it was a joke, and that he's Davis, not Patrick Bateman. As the lawyer goes to leave him, Bateman stops him and tries to convince him again that he did those things, and his name is Patrick, and he did, he did kill those people. The lawyer then says he doesn't find the joke funny anymore, and tells him he has a dinner with Paul Allen in London ten days ago, then leaves. Bateman, confused, then goes back to his friends, where they watch Reagan make a speech. Final scene is of Bateman watching the people going around going back to feeling in control. Bateman admits that his confession meant nothing and learned no deeper meaning about himself and his own actions. Yes. There you have it. Alright, the first thing I want to start off with is the music for you, John. Go go crazy on the music. Well, first off, I love the fact that he always played music right before he was about to actually do something horrific, right? And the different types of music that uh, he talked about every single time that he, you know, right before he was about to do something, be it kill someone or whatnot, he described the music and like certain traits, like, you know, the, the Whitney Houston and the other two ones. He was just chatting about them, like saying some qualities about them that were absolutely amazing and fulfilling, almost like he wanted those qualities before he just brutally murdered the people that he was talking to. It was pretty good. And on top of that, Outside of the musical context, all of the music that he listened to are really fucking good songs, and I could totally understand why their budget just went out the fucking roof once they had to get those songs. They they were pretty good. Um, also, on top of that, the music itself, the three songs that uh that really played throughout. Um, there was a couple others as well, but those three main songs that he played throughout, each of them were all you know about something rather emotional which again is very very amusing considering that bateman is literally an emotionalist prick so it just works out you know it almost fills in the gap for the lack of uh 
emotions in this entire movie. I thought you would like the music the most out of everything that you saw in, in this movie. Oh, I did. I did. That was the part that would draw you in, honestly. No, I was kind of like, uh, have you ever um, sprinkled sugar on a dog turd? <laughs> it's basically like that. <laughs> oh, no, I've never done it before. Uh, <laughs> go to the next one, Nadine. So I figured Dan probably had some things that he wanted to talk about because there's a couple. There's I have like a really long tirade on fan theories about the way the movie ended. So I figured I want to like save that to last her. because yeah, yeah I kind of want to save that to last because I have my own theory on it and you already shut it down in the beginning, but that's okay. Yeah, shut it down. We'll hard. <laughs> I think we're like dive deeper into like kind of what I have to say, but I, I just this movie, it does kind of fluctuate between genres, and I'll get it into my rating, but like it didn't kind of capture me in any with any of those genres. But I don't know. I, I think just the, the subcontext and like the uh, the arguments you can have about what actually happened in the movie is actually more interesting than the actual movie. So that's kind of my uh, yeah. The after after viewing research was more entertaining than the actual movie itself. I can understand that. Exactly. Yeah, was, so that's, that's kind of my overall feeling towards it. There was a previous movie that we had that with where I hated the movie, but the research on the movie was, uh, I think it was Fantastic Planet, was more interesting for me. Like, I did not like the movie at all, but I liked the research. The research was good. I actually liked the movie more than the research on that movie. So, I mean, I guess it's, it's flip-flopped a little bit for me and Dan. Yeah, um, that's fair. Something I will add on to that, Dan, I totally get that exact feeling, but there was a couple of saving graces on the movie, and I think the biggest one is the fact that Christian Bale played it. Um, he was fucking hilarious. Yeah. I, like, there were certain parts of the movie where I just, I actually had to pause and be like, did I just watch that? Like, when he was shooting, he walked by the janitor who came out of the elevator. The janitor, like, looks at him, and I, I'm not sure if he waves or something, but he just announces he's there. And then he goes through the uh, roundabout roundabout door and then goes right back inside through the door, shoots him, and continues. I laughed hard at that. I'm like, that's that's actual comedy. I think that's actually pretty funny. And there, there was a couple of scenes like that that were just mildly amusing and they were actually kind of funny. Like when, uh, dr like the him running freaking butt-ass naked screaming with a chainsaw. Yeah. The chainsaw or, scene, I will say, that just whole sequence was kind of a highlight, but then it kind of, like, it started turning this, like, slasher horror thing, and then it just kind of went back into this, like, psychological drama. Yeah, and that flip-floppiness to me is just kind of yeah. like, I'm not going to call it poor writing, because this was based off of a book, and I feel like I get attacked for that. Yeah, no, and I, but I, it's I, poor film writing, I think. I, I think that was very intentional from the director to not subscribe to any particular genre. But just that, for whatever reason, that didn't quite work for me. No, no, it was... It, it feels like month, it was oblivious to the story it was trying to do. Yeah. Yeah, Nadine? For, for Horror Month, I feel like it kind of fits, because it's, it's, it's bloody, gory, and kind of creepy enough that I feel like it fits in. Um, but I would say I wouldn't count this more as a horror. I would count this as, like, a really kind of shitty thriller that has, like, I can see where the comedy is. I didn't laugh that much at it. I think it's because I watched this movie multiple times before, so like it's and it never really seemed all that funny to me. But um like I I think that's kind of where the genre lies maybe in that area. Yeah. Yeah, I, w I wouldn't call this like a countdown to Halloween movie like Yeah, if you took away all of the undertones of this movie and just stuck at it at face value, 
it is an extremely light thriller, you know, with some with some comedy tones and then, you know, all the drama. I can see that, but would I constitute this as a horror movie right out of the gate? Absolutely not. Yeah. But it does actually have some basic horror stuff in it. So, I mean, it's a good kind of like, here, you know, put your toes in the pool before you fucking dive into it and send me down the hell spiral of horror movies that I hate so much, Nadine. So thank you. Okay. Well, I was Even though I chose it. I was actually nice to you. The second movie, which is a movie that we're reviewing next week, is not a serious movie. It is a horror comedy, but it is not serious. The entire series is not, and it's the third one of the series that is could be said very much a standalone. So you may not like that movie, but I think you're going to find it's at the very least funny because of how outlandish it is. <clears throat> I was like scary movie. Uh, well, it's, not, it's not a parody. It's for... Well, well let's, yeah. we'll get to that. We'll yeah. see that when we go when we go over it. But um, to revisit back to this movie, um, I I'm really torn because normally when you see or watch movies, for example, if you watched Avatar, the Blue People movie, yeah, you knew exactly what was going on during the entire movie, um, and there was some suspense as it builds up until the end. This movie was just kind of like, aha, random suspense moment, and it's gone. And now, dramatic thinking and talking about my emotional problems, and bam! Suddenly I feel overshadowed by a friend, and I want to kill him. It was just like, dude. Yeah, I think that point there dude. where, like, it kind of builds up a little suspense, and you kind of, like, think he's, like, this intimidating character, but then his unraveling kind of, like, removes that suspense almost immediately. Oh, yeah. It, it, it literally just turns into, like, a... You know, this... I just suddenly came up with this. This actually feels like... If he was a if he was a side character in GTA Five, like this this movie legitimately feels like he's just one of the random pedestrians in GTA Five that loses his mind, or the main character who loses his mind because you're literally murdering everyone with the main character. I'm gonna be honest. Yeah, and those murders didn't matter to begin with, so I mean, why not, right? There you go. But I mean. You could come up with, uh, and Nadine, just to preface this before you go into the ending stuff later on, I have to mention, um, I think if this movie had a lot better, or it had a lot more clear, I wouldn't say better, a clearer ending that was described, I think this entire movie would lose all interest. Like, the fan theories and the love about this movie come in from the fact, like, oh, it could be like this, you know, it's open-ended almost. And I just want to say... <sighs> It's just, like, it's so obvious that the director's like, let's make the movie open-ended so nobody knows what's going on. <laughs> you know? No, that's not the case, because the director literally said the opposite Yeah, so it's thing. funny you mentioned that. Yeah. No, I was saying, like, getting into, like, what the director actually said about the movie is, like, that was one of their regrets about it, but I think Nadine has that. Has been her, uh, yeah. Her I do want to mention something before oh. I go to the end. One part that I thought was really, really funny. Um... Paul and the guy that Jared Leto plays, which I didn't recognize Jared Leto at first because he looks like fucking baby. Oh, I didn't either. He looks strange in this movie. Yeah, he looks like a straight he up always, fucking baby. He always looks, every character he plays, though, he looks completely different. He's a it, chameleon, it really, dude. You, you're yeah. like, damn, Jared Leto's in this movie? Where? You'll watch the movie and you still won't fucking know. It literally took me till halfway through the movie and I was like, oh, there he is. <laughs> Found him. Oh, you said Jared Leto was in this movie, and then I was like, oh, wow. Oh, he plays him. No wonder he looks kind of familiar. Yeah, I was like, I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't I couldn't figure it out. But the part that I think is really funny is Jared Leto's character 
I love that he mistakes Patrick Bateman for Marcus, who I actually think he mistakes both of them. He switched them because the way that people describe Patrick Bateman, which more than just the lawyer says it too, more than just Paul Allen says this, they say Patrick Bateman is a dork. The guy who plays Marcus actually looks like a fucking dork. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> so I think mm-hmm. they literally switched the two characters. And I think it's hilarious that Paul Allen did not figure that out at all at any point because people actually were saying Patrick's name to him. And then I also thought it was really funny that he was completely oblivious to the situation and how it was escalating as his uh, death was pictured, like in the movie, got closer. Like when he went to De- Texarkana, it's not a high-end restaurant. That was like a middle-class restaurant, I believe, that they went to. That's not something from Wall Street that they would take you to. And he even complains about it in the movie. And then when they get to the apartment, everything is fucking covered up. And there's newspaper on the floor. And he, like, is dancing and acting erratically. You can clearly see the fucking axe placed in the doorway. And he's putting on a fucking raincoat. And the guy doesn't get that he's about to be murdered. Not once. Not even once. He doesn't even scream at the end. He just, his eyes go wide. And then all of a sudden, the hacking scene of looks like he's cutting a tree. I was like, oh, my God. And right? then, you know, I think, too, on that scene, like, you know, Christian Bale was fucking shredded in this movie, first off. That dude was ripped as a motherfucker. I actually I think they act, they gave him a legitimate fire axe, and he was just going to ham with it. Like, I don't think that was, like, styrofoam or something. I think he was literally going to ham on something with a fire axe. There was just something interesting about looking at that man's face and melt as he's swinging in that thing super fucking fast. And I love how much newspaper gonna do. I know. Oh yeah, it does nothing. Like, what was it? What was the point of the newspaper? It's gonna fuck up your floor either way. It's gonna go straight through. Yeah, Yeah, I just I find it funny, man. Like every tiny detail about this movie doesn't make sense. Like how he plastic wrapped the couches, you know. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of smart. And then he just casually puts his fucking bare hand on the couch and smokes a cigar. And I'm like, dude, (laughs) dude. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, okay, so is there anything that we want to talk about with the materialism before I get to the end? Okay, I want to revisit um, his morning routine a little bit. Yeah, I that think that ridiculous. scene, his morning routine, that there was no better way they could have opened up this film than that scene. No, that's... First off, like, go ahead, Dan. No, I, I agree. Like that—that that was one, another one of those like saving grace scenes of this movie. That like it's so iconic that mm-hmm. you, you, your eyes are glued and just—it. I think I've seen that scene. Just people like imitating it. Well, first off, I want to mention that my fiance has a very similar um, routine when it comes to uh, like cleaning supplies or like facial scrubs and stuff like that. And recently, I've been curious, and I started using it as well, just just out of nowhere. And then I watch this scene. You just see this jack dude, right? Beefy, fucking shredded dude, doing you know, you know, a face mask, and uh, he's got a back scrubber that looks like it was bought from a dollar store, and you know, just butt ass, fucking naked, and he just rock hard legs and ass, and it's just like you, you're looking at a scene like this, and you're like, what the fuck am I watching? And why is my eye? Why are my eyes so glued to this shredded man? 
See, I, I prefer the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger Predator just rubbing mud on his face like gently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Or him him slowly peeling off the face mask and it's all made dramatic and you just see little shreds of the mask on his face left over. I'm like, you fucked that up so bad. <laughs> oh, I, don't know how, I don't know how this worked, but okay. <laughs> Dude, it just it worked so yeah. well. And the scene that completely out of place in the movie, but when you think about it, it kind of fits him quite a bit. And then he's like, yeah, I could do a thousand, I do my thousand sit-up crunches in the morning. I'm like, a thousand? Oh yeah, if his, if his face is feeling puffy. Yeah, and he puts on like this little uh, cool mask, and I'm like, bro, what? Is this Fifty Shades of Grey? Like, what am I getting into right now? Yes, it's Fifty Shades of Grey. But then there is kind of like the, uh, yeah. But then there's Shades kind of, of Patrick, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Bro, uh, you know, that is a scene that, all I can say is that it's a scene that makes you question your sexuality at the end of it. But go go ahead, Dan. Oh, no, I was just saying, like, at the very end of it, though, it, it does, like, foreshadow, like, what the point of the movie is that he's, like, he is flesh and he's really there, but inside he's, he's nothing. He's well, I mean, he, he takes care, he, take, he makes up for it with his fucking face care routine, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. Who cares if he's an empty shell with no emotions? That dude is hot as shit, all right? <laughs> all right. Alrighty. Um, all right, Nadine, go ahead. I, I, got, I stopped fangirling now. You're good. All right, so I'm going to just do this part, and then I want to revisit the materialism aspect in this because I feel like that's the biggest debate portion with us. Uh, well, the biggest talking discussion with us that will be is actually how materialistic and like empty these people were. Um, but the ending of the movie is a bit ambiguous and apparently has caused a lot of debate among fans. And there's a few theories. I'm going to give three. I will start with what I think is the least likely theory to the most likely theory. And I will give you the reason why I think it's the least likely theory too. Uh, so theory one, Bateman imagined everything. Some fans believe that Bateman imagined everything due to, due to a personality disorder, which he does display a type of personality disorder, but I don't believe it makes him have this crazy of hallucinations and imagination in his head um anyway uh due to a personality disorder and took out his anger and hatred towards women the homeless and paul allen all in his head this theory is supported by people not even batting an eye at him when he says ridiculous things like telling the bartender he wants to play with her blood but she has no reaction or telling the model that he deals in murders and executions when she asks about what his job is and correctly stating his actual job in her next line. He also hallucinates the ATM telling him to feed it a cat, and the cops blow up in a very giant action-themed explosion. But the reason why I don't think this one is likely to be true is because the American psycho director, Mary Heron, said audiences weren't supposed to think Bateman is innocent, and goes on to say, I think it's a failure of mine in the final scene. Because I just got the emphasis wrong. I should have left it more open-ended. It makes it look like it was all in his head. And as far as I'm concerned, it's not. Okay. I mean, that is actually the one that I 100% um, originally thought. And, I mean, I get that the that the director originally, like, said outright that, oh, that's not what this is supposed to go. But, like, they kind of did the movie like that to make you think that. So I, I get it. That's the director's. The director is saying, you know, oh, it's you know, that's not what this is supposed to be. That was a failure on our parts, or something like that. But still, I mean, that's what it led me to instantly. 
I could see yeah, that too. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah. No, I was wondering, like, maybe, like, there was some, like, someone else that the director had, a, had some, like, input into how the movie ended that kind of made that a little more... Oh, yeah. The ending is the problem here. That is the problem child of this movie that's making this open-ended, oh, like, what ha- what actually happened. Yeah. All right. And so the way they did it was so, so obvious to that. But go, on, go ahead and go to Theory 2, Nadine. Sorry. But before I get to Theory 2, I'm actually just going to say real quick, I, at first, was like, what, is this movie supposed to be on his head? Because if that's the case... There's a lot of things that they misplaced in it that would be the generic, hey, it's all in his head kind of deal. And when I read that the director said that, I was like, okay, I can see where this is, that was not really her message and why it wasn't clear enough that it wasn't her message because of the way that she did the ending. Um, the second one is another theory. I, I think this is more likely than the first theory, but not as likely as the last theory. The last theory, I think, is the one that held some more ground. Um, theory two, Paul actually was killed by uh, Bateman, and so was everyone else he killed in the movie. Uh, the end, according to the director, was not meant to be so open-ended, as I previously stated, but to show that it all actually happened, just maybe not as Bateman remembers it. The lawyer and most everyone else mistakes him for someone else, and I'm assuming they think Marcus is actually Bateman. Uh, so it goes without saying that they probably don't know who each other is, unless they hang out with each other every day like Bateman does with his friends. The lawyer probably never saw Paul Allen in London, but someone else who mistook for Paul Allen. Why I think it's less likely, where did the bodies go? The only thing I can think of is he cleaned up the bodies himself in like a frenzied state and couldn't remember of it because sometimes blackouts do happen if you're that panicked and some serial killers do claim for that to happen. Whether or not that's actually true for each serial killer when they claim that, it, you can't really judge. Some, some of them you can kind of tell it might be, but for others it may just be their way to kind of get out of going to jail kind of deal. The only thing I um, would say outside that is maybe he hired the realtor because the way that the realtor says, you know, kind of says like, go away. It was sounded more of like a warning and kind of like she recognized him a little bit after he started looking confused and kind of panicked. But that's still a little holy too. Um, Yeah, I don't like... I legitimately don't think, like, he either, I get the split, he either killed everyone, or he didn't kill anyone, but I think it's somewhere along the middle, I don't think that, I do agree with you on that, that's, it's a little bit more plausible than the first one, but I, it's not that, for sure, like, it, it's clearly obvious, it's not that. And that was something that I was putting together when I was in the middle of watching the movie, but apparently there's a lot of people who believe that this is a possibility, because as I was going through the articles that I was looking through, there people were like, no, everyone died. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess people actually do go behind this theory. The problem is, is there's holes mm-hmm. to it that I can't put together. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think absolutely. Something in between definitely makes more sense. Yeah, <laughs> which is the one that I think is the more accurate one, and that's theory three, the final theory. Um, theory three, he actually killed everyone but Paul Allen. So everyone that he actually was shown to kill in the movie, he killed except for Paul. He did have an intense hatred for Paul Allen, but it was, but Paul was not his type, like not his victim type. Bateman, like most serial killers, has a victim type. The type most mostly consists of blonde women or those he believes less be less than him on in the social circle or on the totem pole, to be less exact. Uh, 
For example, in many scenes, he and his friends do not seem to think women are actually people, but more so objects. Many serial killers will dehumanize their victims and make them to be more objects in their minds by try not trying to get to know or placing them as lower on the totem pole in society, so killing them becomes easier. Often, if a serial killer connects with the victim or suddenly sees them as more human, they are incapable of actually killing them and let them go, which has actually happened in instances where serial killers suddenly humanize their victim and the victim was let go. Um, doesn't always happen. That's not for every serial killer, but a lot of them are like that. Paul Allen's death could have been imagined. Bateman does seem to have some delusions. As an example, the ATM telling him to beat at the cat or the giant explosion with the police cars. Uh, so it's possible enough that it became real in his head because of his hatred and how often he, often he probably fantasized about killing him. Why didn't he actually kill Paul in real life though? He didn't fit Bateman's actual type and he knew him, making it harder for Bateman to disassociate himself from Paul. On top of that, in Paul's mind and the way he's portrayed in the movie, well, not in Paul's mind, in Patrick's mind, Paul is actually seen in his own head to be better than Paul. Paul's not going to kill someone who in society is higher up than him. He only goes for the ones that are lower, which is why he killed the homeless guy, which is why he killed the prostitutes. Is there one where he only killed Paul Allen and didn't kill anyone else, and that's all in his head because of his fear of actually killing Paul Allen? No. <laughs> I think that would be due to you, Jill. Yeah, I don't know. That one that one kind of works out too. Like he panics and then he just dreams about all that. I don't know. But no, I, I think that last one does make sense most with that underlying theme of the movie, which is kind of this competitive yuppie culture and how you're always in this comp like who has the better business card, who can look the nicest, who has the best suits, who can go to the best restaurants. Like because he's envious. Most he women, that, yeah. He has that fantasy and then like his delusion or his like his emptiness inside, he needs to fill it with the serial killer. So well, I, I think, think that's that makes most sense with like the movie. Yeah. I mean, not not exactly on top of that, because serial killers don't just start being serial killers because they um, need to feel like fill something. It was probably because he felt pain. Um, and there's some sort of damage there that happened, probably from childhood. There's multiple different ways that it could have happened. Um, and that he, like, started hating women and people who were less than him, probably from the social circles that he was in. Um, and that was definitely an influence. But his hatred, based off of whatever thing happened in his childhood, caused him to start killing. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think the yuppie society is the reason he's a, he's a serial killer. I think it's just Fueled it. how he kind of hides it. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely well, that's a, that brings up another point that I actually wanted to mention as well that Nadine, I talked about briefly before, and that is everyone in this culture, in that you know, in that upper class culture, really doesn't care at all, to be honest. Yeah, whether or not he had killed this many people or not, because they didn't even consider them people to begin with. Yeah, what what no. they what they what everybody in this movie is beneath like their exterior it, it is meaningless. Whether it's a serial yeah. killer, it does not, you don't learn anything else about any of the other characters, really. Yeah, it doesn't matter because yeah. you know they probably don't care either. I mean, the entire point is that like people in that specific, um, in this specific movie of the culture, you know, just legitimately don't care about anyone else. They're just vain. 
they're rich, and they're attention seekers. That's that's literally all it is. All the side characters are like that, and that includes uh, Patrick Bateman as well. Yeah, and the reason why I also think this one's the most likely is because it, it is a common misconception that serial killers usually have hallucinations. I would say generally they're very clear-minded. They do not have hallucinations like the ones that are shown in this movie that they like they point out for this theory that he has. Some do. Some use them as an excuse to go into a psych ward instead of having to go to jail because of what they did. But most are pretty clear-minded, and they know what they're doing. They are acting on a trauma that happened when they were a child or an injury. Some of them actually are just this way and are born this way because there's something that did not is not firing right chemically in their brain. But most of them are very clear on what they're doing, and there is no hallucination that comes with it. All right. I mean, this is one of those things, though, Nadine, like, it's literally the director's fault of how they ended the movie that came yeah. up with these three theories. And and can probably more as well, because anyone can watch this movie and think, oh, well, this could have happened instead. Or, you know, ones, well, based off this could have happened. I put the ones that were the easiest to find. That's what I put in. Because there were yeah, a lot, yeah. but I put the ones that were the easiest to find. I didn't want to do, like, 30 fucking theories i was like fuck that and then i went through the ones that were the easiest to find probably because of the more popular ones and out of those i went through them and i was like okay this is the one that i feel like is probably the most accurate based off of common misconception on how serial killers actually function and what people think serial killers actually do which is hallucinate and possibly uh internalize their rage and put it to someone else they do do that but there are reasons for it like but it just it, the way that they did it did show that, that she might have had that misconception, and the way she portrayed some of his hallucinations was not the correct way to do it. Yeah, um, you don't fucking hallucinate. Put Cat in the ATM. I mean, yeah, could, I think this movie could but... have probably been cut several different ways as well, because like you said with Will Defoe's character, he recorded each scene three times, each with a different like mindset. Oh, I, I personally, speaking of Will and Defoe, I personally believe that his character didn't exist at all in the movie. It was literally just a hallucination. Now, whether that be, I'm not talking about the kills themselves, but I think that's his guilty conscience coming back up on him for what he's doing. I don't think he existed. He definitely, literally, I just don't think he existed at all. He definitely existed, but I do think um, when the director said to play three different things, it, they didn't shoot three different takes for each scene. They told him to play it three different ways during the same scene, which is why you can see him act suspicious in the beginning of one scene and then seem like he's not sure about Christian Bale or be like, oh, it's not like this is what I think happened and then be not sure. Because in the okay. one scene, okay. yeah, and like the one scene specifically when they were at the restaurant together, he seems suspicious. But then gotcha. when yeah, Christian... I, I thought that fact was that he actually shot three scenes no, it was all one scene. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's all one scene. Gotcha. Three different ways. He eventually was like, I just think this guy went off to London. You know? Like, so he started out suspicious and ended up not suspicious of Patrick Bateman. Okay. So I think that character was real. I think he was just a sign of the times because there's a lot of police officers who, in like, I think it, 
during around that time, or maybe it was the 70s, who, like, did not give a fuck when it came with serial killers, especially when it came to ones who were killing those of the lower class. But, like, this... Yeah, lot the things of, you can get away with in the 80s are different than today. And the 60s and the 70s is insane. But, like, especially if it's someone who's running off to another country who has a shit ton of money and that's totally would be within their personal, like, their personality... Like, they they would just throw it under the table and be like, yeah, this is basically what I think. We're going to close the case soon. And it kind of seems like what that guy does. He seems like he's kind of half-assedly finding out information. But then he ultimately thinks, yeah, this guy just probably went a little loopy and went to fucking London, and that's where he's at. He'll show up eventually. Okay. I mean, I can see that. You said something about the monetary side of things, Nadine? Yeah, I just wanted to go with the materialistic. I did want to talk about that a little bit because I thought that was really cool. Like, I wouldn't say really cool, but I thought that was, like, a really interesting way to show Wall Street. Because I know Wall Street has always been seen in this kind of way. But all of the men of Wall Street are very materialistic. And they don't even recognize each other. <laughs> like, they they didn't know who Patrick Bateman was. The lawyer thought he was Davis. Paul Allen thought he was Marcus. And everyone knew everything about each other, but they just didn't know each other's faces. Unless they were hanging out with them all the time. And, like... They were all about designer names. Lewis was pretending not to be gay by dating a girl who was having an affair with someone else while he was in love with the man that the girl was having an affair with. Like, it just the way they created that society was kind of, I think, kind of fantastic. It was fantastic, but, like, that was also the most, the hardest, it was where the hardest scenes for me to watch were just, like, the guys just sitting down and talking about who has a better business card, what they think of women. Like, that was the most you know, uninteresting part of the movie to me. Like, I, I know why it was there to show kind of what this yuppie culture was on the surface. I mean, I totally... Like, it was hard for me to watch, too, because it was, like, really sexist and xenophobic, yeah. anti-Semitic, all of it. Uh, but I also think that the fact that they put it together so concisely and no one was it batted an eye while they were actually playing those parts was great. I oh, yeah, they, think... they did it perfectly. That's what makes it such a turnoff. Yeah. Didn't they, something random, didn't you guys notice when they just randomly brought up Ivanka Trump in, yeah. the, in the restaurant or whatever? Yeah, he was trying to be like... What? Oh, and they said, is that Trump's car too when they were on the way to like a dinner or something like yeah. that as well? I just want to casually mention, um, isn't Ivanka Trump like 30-something? So wouldn't she be in like in her early teens in this time period? No, no, this is... I think that's, I think you're thinking of a, a different trope. Oh. Okay. Yeah. This is, I this don't is... know. I was just like, oh, Ivana Trump. Yeah. Oh, Ivana Trump. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I was so confused. I heard that and I was just like, I did a double take. I'm like, that's an old woman. Like, that ain't... No. I was so confused. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that is kind of amusing, though, that they randomly brought him up, or her up, in this film. Just to, And him, Trump, randomly in the film. I guess it just kind of uh, coalesces all of that uh, materialistic thing Nadine was talking about into the film. Yeah, like, the, the Trumps kind of embody that yuppie 80s high, high society culture. Yeah, high roller stuff. I just think that was kind of funny. One of, one of the other things, too, is uh, there was one line. They said, oh, it's only 570 Well, that's reasonable or something like that. 
And, uh, you know, I heard that and I legitimately thought it was $5.70 because that's how I grew up, right? I'm like, yeah, that's reasonable. And then I then they put down their cards, four cards for it. And they're all platinum cards to split the bill, I suppose. And I'm looking at that. I'm like, are they each going to split a dollar fifty each on a card? And then I was like, oh my god, it's five hundred and seventy dollars. Yeah, okay, uh, all right, no, thank you. I don't know. <laughs> I just, I just, yeah, I guess I just... This, is, this is in the eighties, but like, I think I've dr- I've been out drinking with friends, and like, I've got I've rid of like three or four hundred dollar bar tabs. Okay, um, the most I've ever done, I went to a, I went bowling, and I spent one hundred and twenty dollars, and three weeks later, I still regretted spending that much. <laughs> I'm just saying. So he'll kill me. I mean. If I say this, but Dan, you remember, um, fuck, I can't remember his name right now. The the guy that Melissa and Adam always hang out, hung out with, and he always gets trashed. What the fuck? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So one time, there was one time, it was before you and I started talking. I think it was before you and I even met. Um, we, I had gone out with Melissa and Adam. Oh, we, he was there. Brian, his name's Brian. Brian was there. yes. And he had gotten so trashed that he was, like, buying everybody at the table, like, shots and drinks. And at the end of it, he had, like, a $350 bar tab. And he handed Melissa and Adam 50 bucks. And they were like, no, 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 no. You paid for yeah. everything. You kept ordering it. Where's the rest? Yeah. <laughs> the yeah, bill altogether, I, I think, was, like, point. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. In the context of this movie, though, there's, it's just like a casual lunch, and it's five hundred bucks, though. So yeah. I just can't imagine that, man. Like, I I go out to eat, and I have a stroke when I see it's thirty dollars. Like, can you imagine five hundred and seventy dollars and be like, yeah, that's that's reasonable? Like, Jesus, and, and, I, and that's what I mean. It, it it ties into that materialistic aspect you were talking about. They literally don't care about money. It's just another tool for them to get what they need. But for right. me. You know, five hundred dollars, dude. That's a that that's like two weeks of partying. And like, on top of that, like, how many scotches do you actually think they had? They probably had like one or two scotches or like drinks. Guaranteed, the meal, like the dinner they had, was probably half of it. it was probably a fifty-fifty split. Like, you know, they were getting like two hundred dollar, like scotches, like like drinks. Like the drink that they got was like a fifty-dollar drink. Like that's what they paid for it. They got two. There's a hundred. And then, like, the meal was probably, like, fucking 50 or 70 or something like that. Like, something crazy. And it was probably, like, the size of their fist. It was ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Oh, another thing. Um, I, I have to mention this because I'm just talking about random scenes now. Um, the Chainsaw Massacre in the background, did they have to get licensing to show that scene? Probably. That just sounds really weird that they would just go and get... One of the most popular, you know, movies, I guess, during that time period. And then just throw it up as a backdrop on a team, on a TV right next, you know, and then a little bit later, it's literally just a three-way porn set. It's just like, oh, there's so many, there's so many things about this movie that just confuse me. Like, who the fuck does crunches and works out to the screaming of people? Or to people having sex. Like, I just don't understand. Like, at all. It's just really strange to me. A serial killer that's does that. part of the... Yeah. yeah. That's part of, like, the psychosis of the... That's just weird. Serial killer mind. Um, a lot of the times, they're... Like, the... Violence and sex, the line between it, it's blurred. 
I wouldn't even say a lot. Most of the time, especially if it's sexual mm. deviance that's being shown up in the killing in some way, that the line is blurred. And for some of those serial killers, they were introduced at a very, very young age, that blurred line between sex and violence or the com- combination of sex and violence. So for him, having that kind of thing just makes sense in the background. Oh, yeah, where he pulled out, where he pulled out, like, a knife and, like, wire or whatever. Yeah. Or a coat hanger. And then she's, like, and then just she walks out beaten and bruised. I'm just, like, good lord, man. And or having, like, porn going while you're having a regular old conversation. They would often have, like, porn addictions and sex addictions and things like that. And it would come out in, like, violent ways. And they would watch or a lot of porn and things like that so it's it is something that i if they did any research on like a serial killer because i think by that point they had a better understanding um because of one fbi agent uh basically on how like it worked or what they were doing in their other life or in their personal life to just kind of splash that in the background for the movie well Overall, Nadine, I mean, this movie has so many undertones and so many surface-level things. Let me kind of just group it together. Would you consider this, in my opinion, just to be a B-rated movie? Because that's kind of what I see it as. It's definitely not a... It's not a a movie that you see and you're like, wow, this is the best! Like, it's kind of like one of those movies that you watch and then you kind of just try and discover things more about it so you can kind of make sense of what was going on. Not for the enjoyment of it, but just sort of the understanding aspect. I don't think this qualifies at all as a B-rated movie. I think it it is actually very well shot, very well acted. Like, it's a high-quality movie. It just... Scripting wasn't good. As as we described, it's it's just... I don't think it's for everybody. Yeah. Agreed. That is definitely a heavy line right there. This is not a movie for everyone. And on top of that, B-movies, a lot of people do enjoy them, and it's not because they like the research afterwards, it's because the movie's shitty enough that it becomes good for them again, like the movie we're going to watch next week, for next week. It's kind of one of those movies. But this one, I would say if it didn't have Patrick Damon as this is his breakout role. You don't get breakout roles for a B-movie, I'm going to be honest. And if it wasn't like the way they shot it and how they put it together, I would say possibly. The only thing that I would say probably would make it is the scripting for this movie is not, it's good, but it didn't put together the ending fair enough. And also the cast, like the casting of this, you can't say it's a B movie. Yeah, I mean, well, you can can have really good actors and have it be a B B movie, but it's definitely... Like for this one, it's just—it's definitely considered more of like an A, I think. I don't yeah. think this is really a B. Yeah, I mean, I, I know there's like some like random like famous actors that do have done a B movie here and there, but I feel like this many: Willem Dafoe, Jared Leto, Christian Bale. That's a lot. Uh, like that's way too bit too much star power to be a, considered a B movie. Too much opinion. star yeah. power. That's a nice way to put it. Alrighty, guys. Take the Mario. Okay. All right, cool close to time so let's get on to the next section is it or isn't it what do you think dan uh yes just because of what i said earlier like even though i didn't like this movie it, this is an interesting movie just to talk about kind of explore and kind of dive deep into of like what actually happened what are the themes because there's just so much subcontext to this movie so much commentary uh just culturally i i would call it a cult classic 
Um, just based off of the line that Dan said and the fact that there are fan theories about this, um, the line being this movie isn't for everyone, and there's so many fan theories about it, do well in the box office. I mean, this is just a stereotypical, you know, definition of a cult classic, that alone. I would say yes as well. Uh, for the same reasons you two just, just said, also to add on to that, it does definitely push the norms for uh, society. Like, this pushes a lot of the buttons. It, it does have homophobia, sexism, all of that in there. And people who were asked to put their music in this movie, a lot of them said no. Whitney Houston was one of them because they didn't want to have anything to do with it because of what was in the movie. You know what I mean? It wasn't just the murders. It was the way that he viewed women and the way that he viewed people and things like that. It really does kind of push those boundaries that normal society would consider to be more taboo. Did you mention the uh, in the notes or the uh, interesting facts that like the original cut of this movie was like an NC seventeen and they had to trim out some of like the the gore and the, and the, the sexual stuff? No, mostly like because um, it was only a little bit that they had to take out. They had already toned it down before they had started to doing that editing to get rid of the NC seventeen from the book version. They already had to tone down so gotcha. much of it to make it as low rating as they could and then they had to just take out i think it was like one or two scenes to make it go okay. from an nc-17 to a rated r so i didn't think it was that crazy yeah. if you read the book it's like 10 times worse from what i've read gotcha yeah so but either way pushing the barriers of what's acceptable and kind of what what can be shown yeah um so let's rate the movie dan I want to see this, Dan, because you were you were talking about how you were going to rate this probably the lowest. I really want to know because I actually have mine settled, and you guys are going to be kind of shocked. I so if I'm just going by my overall experience of watching the movie, it's it's going to be a four. Uh, I was actually I was even considering doing lower than that just because this movie almost is noxious to me to watch, but because it is, I, I can't call this a bad movie. It just for me, it didn't. It's not something I would want to watch. So it's important. All right. Um, Nadine, I want to save yours for last simply because I know you're going to have the highest rating of us all. Um, Dan, I'm going to be entirely honest with you. I didn't think you were going to go that high. Um, this, specifically talking about the movie and not the, um, not the outside fan theories and stuff, because the fan theories and coming up with your own reasonings is fun. Watching the movie? Not really. I mean, there was a couple of saving grace scenes, but that's not the movie. The movie itself for me was a three. It was yeah. boring, it was dry, and my attention was only locked to the screen during a couple of parts that were kind of interesting, like the chainsaw scene or the uh, the very first scene of the movie. Like, everything else, like... I really have to think about what happened during the movie to have it come back up in my head. Like, I have to watch it four or five times, and I really don't want to spend time doing that. So yeah, no, I'm going to give it a three. It was just really boring. That's where I originally was, but I think just talking about it kind of... Uh, I got, it it solidified it. it. I was actually a four, and then we started talking about it, and I gave it a three, dude. <laughs> no, just, I, I think it is kind of interesting to talk about the theories and just kind of how... The, the story of how this movie got made and, and 
Yeah, I mean, the history of it's cool and all, but, you know, the actual movie itself, like, I can't save it just because of all the things around it, you know? Yeah. And I, I also just think, like, the quality of the movie, I have to be at least important. But anyway, Nadine. Um, so I would say for me, it's between the six and the seven. I'll probably give it the lower one, the six, uh, mostly because I really do like bloody, gore, gory horror movies. I don't really have to have a huge storyline in the movie. It just has to a little bit make sense, and I'm usually pretty much sold. Um, Dan would know this. He's seen uh, Puppet Master and Pumpkinhead. Not great movies. I love them. Um, (laughs) I also really like serial killers. Uh, like I'm in, like, I shouldn't say I like them, but like, I'm, I'm fascinated by them. So this kind of hit a lot of buttons for me. There is, uh, it could have been better. The storyline, like the way they did things and shouldn't portray the movie, especially the way they ended it could have been done a lot better, but I would say overall, this movie is not the worst movie I've ever seen. And it's definitely more of like around that middle ground area. I have to say Nadine, based on what you just said, you can't look at horror movies in a certain way like you have no let me rephrase that you have to look at horror movies in a certain way to appreciate them it's why people are horror like like people like horror movies because they like specific types of movies right the horror genre to me has always been boring dry and jump scares like right or gore and like that's never been the type of movie that i watch so not only did it not hit those notes for me nadine there were other issues with it, but they hit those notes for you, and therefore it's better. So that is definitely, definitely because it's a horror movie, it got rated higher. Would you say if it was, would it be higher if it didn't have the horror aspects of this? Like um, it took out the thriller, like the axing and stuff like that. It was just behind the scenes, like you knew he murdered them, but it never actually showed it. Would it still be rated that high? Probably because I like mysteries too. Technically speaking, it would still kind of hit the buttons that I like. So it would still, just because it's, it's got the bloody and gory in it. Doesn't mean I'm reading it really any differently. It still has that horror aspect to it because there's a lot of horror movies, especially a lot of older ones, where they don't actually show the killings happen. For example, Psycho, one of the movies that was mentioned, and the interesting facts. Then you never actually see anyone die. You just know someone did die. And I love that. I'll movie. actually say that. <laughs> it's funny because I, I, as you were saying that comment, like. It, 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 it like i think if this movie had less story and more just like gore and like oh i'd probably rate it higher too ironically yeah, enough. Like, yeah. I, I think like, i'd like this part if there was more of like uh oh you know what this is like this is like a a film that's trying to be deep but in reality it's just him butchering people that's exactly what this movie is yes yes if, if this actually just owed itself as just a slasher film and like had more of christian bale just be this like over the top like <laughs> i'd be gonna be pretentious while i kill you like i would i think this would be a better movie that laugh is gold i'm gonna have to sound clip that use it as a like a message tone that was that good a fake laugh thank you <laughs> <laughs> that's so good my, right. my, my fake pretentious right. i love that but no um to, to just put it solidly nadine you definitely have different tastes in movie than me and this has shown very heavily over the past 20 movies that we've watched you definitely have different tastes than me i have different tastes in movies than a lot of people although i will say i do show a lot of movies to dan and he likes i would i would i would, I would give myself at least 80 percent of them like 
there's some where I can definitely tell he's just like, I'm hanging on because I know she likes it. I'm hanging so on for dear life because I love like you. <laughs> I, I, I do give most movies a fair shot. Some of them I, I don't love, but like I, I don't hate watching it that I watched it. If you have to drink to watch a movie, I don't think it's a movie worth watching in the first place. Well, that, well that's some... a good point because I drink all the time. So <laughs> that, yeah. I mean, then all of the movies you're watching, man. I mean, <laughs> but no, I mean, what we've seen, what we've seen from my movies, Nadine, is they're all like uh, either children's movies. They are fun to watch. They're pretty visuals, or you know, something like that. Nice music and really cool story, but like. I don't think anything hit on this movie at all for me. Like, I was inches away from saying, I think this might have been the next uh, Surf Nazis Must Die. But I have to say, Surf Nazis Must Die was worse. So I went three. <laughs> Surf That's Nazis fair. Must Die was the worst movie ever created. So I don't even know how you can compare it to that. The acting was better. The film shots were better. Even the fucking movie cut was better than that movie. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> Like, I couldn't give it that rating. It's not the same level as Surf Nazis Must Die. Like, it just isn't. So I gave it that. I was like, okay, it's a three. It, it, it's a three, you know? It's not that bad. But Surf we're going to hit one of those okay. movies eventually. So I, I just want to put it out there that, like, I don't actually like Surf Nazis Must Die. I still gave it a three, so this movie is higher than that. But, yeah. <laughs> well, it's... Oh, good lord. I know it's my pick, but it's not, like, my... my one of my secret... Top ten movies. <laughs> just, just for here's, the audience. Here's my TED talk on why I like Surf Nazis Must Die. <laughs> no, I don't like the movie. All right. All right, Nadine, we can take your hand on that one. Would we recommend the movie, Dan? Honestly, no. I just, I don't think there's really a reason to watch it. It's not really. It doesn't. It's not a, a great example of any of the of any one type of movie, and I don't really. A big drop for it. it. Did be much for me. This this movie, Nadine, for me, feels like when you're getting desperate on Netflix and you find something and you've you've heard people talk about it, so you watch it and you're like, yeah, it's got a nice rating. You know, absolutely not. Absolutely, definitely not. I would not recommend this to anyone. I mean, I wouldn't even recommend this to you, Nadine. If I didn't know you and I knew that, or if I did, if I knew you liked this movie, and you were ready to watch it with me. I'd still say I wouldn't recommend this, Nadine, even though you've seen it a hundred times because I hate this movie. Like it's just not good. Alrighty. So I would recommend this movie, but the stipulation would be I would recommend it to people who are into this kind of genre. It's not for everyone. Most horror movies, I would say, unless you're really a horror fan, are not for everyone. I know a lot of people who won't even watch the genre as a whole. So unless you're really hey. into this kind of thing, don't even bother. Otherwise, go for it. You know, I've actually gone to uh, I've gone to movie theaters, right? And with friends, they're like, what do you guys want to watch? And I'm like, oh yeah, let's watch this action movie. And they're like, let's watch a horror movie. And dude, I was just so like, I don't want to, please no. And I'll sit halfway through the movie and have to go home because of how just, ugh. I hate horror movies. See, but I, if you're someone that doesn't like horror movies and but like has has been kind of curious to like what a good horror movie is, this isn't a good example of that. No, this is a good horror never... movie. No, he said isn't. Oh That's my god! Movie. I was like, this is a good horror movie because no, you this, just made it, so I'm never gonna watch anymore. Yeah, I said this is not a good example. Of I think I'm good with. The, I'm sorry, guys. I'm popping out the podcast for the next three weeks. If this is a good horror movie, I don't no. know, man. 
No, that, I think this is more in that dark comedy category. But... Nah, massive, but still, like, I'd walk down on horror movies. There's only two more movies. The one that Dan picked is a classic jump scare horror. It's actually a very Fuck. good movie. I do not think Love you're jump. going to like this, John. Um, there is no horror in that one. The one that I picked was it's a B movie. It's more of a comedy than it is um, like anything else. It's definitely in the, the series. It's considered a comedy horror. When you watch this movie, it's going to be more like fantasy comedy horror. It has horror aspects to it, but it's the third movie and more of a standalone. When you see it, you'll know what I'm talking about. You, Evil Dead well, 1. I'll Evil tell Dead you this. Are the, the ones I'll that tell are- you this. Once it's a horror movie that has jump scares, I rate it very low. Oh, you're right not off the like bat. The third one at all, then. Not even a oh, I love no. that movie, and you're going to hate it. No, Dan's Army back of- at it again to ruin me. Army of Darkness, I don't think you're going to love it, but it's not meant to be serious. It is the third one in the series. Um, it can be considered a standalone. It has a lot of fantasy aspect into it. It has a lot of like horror aspect into it, but it is not meant to be serious. It is more of a comedy, and you'll be able to see that. It's kind of like um, making fun of like fantasy horror movies a little bit. And the, the Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 and um, the TV show are like clear depictions of like straight horror and like gore. And but it's comedy, all of it's comedy. So you might like it for the comedy aspect, and it's definitely one of those B movies that's really bad. So it's kind of good. No, no. It's supposed to be. No, bad no. Because it's supposed to be making. So I'm hearing three things. I'm hearing three things. It's a horror movie. Yeah. It doesn't actually have it. It's, it's a horror movie, but it uses fantasy stuff to make fun of other movies. So it's a anti-trope movie, and. It's also on top of that a B-rated dude. This is not good. Oh okay. no! <laughs> God, two weeks from now, we'll, we'll be done with horror movies for an entire year. So you're entire uh, year, no. bro. I want at least no. an entire decade. No, that's not true. No, don't do this, Nadine. <laughs> that's the cursedest movie I think. This, you know what this is? Oh, <laughs> this is the torture John month. Make John feel like he shouldn't be here month. Torture him more. Oh, yeah, there, there's a weird blend between Christmas and horror that we're gonna there have is, to some in December. Is, like what, Nightmare Before Christmas? <laughs> no, because yeah, that's just the, that's just like the no, service. no, because we're only picking one movie for Christmas because there's not that many Christmas movies that are cult movies. So I found one that was like it's filmed during Christmas time, but it's actually a horror movie. It's called Black Christmas. Oh, why? <laughs> and that's Give the movie we're motherfuckers. That's what we're oh, watching this okay. year. All right, all right. This is just shenanigans at this point. I all understand right. my role in this podcast, and that's to ruin me. All right, close it out, Nadine. I need to go sulk with some beer. All right, so... Yes, I love that. All right, so if you guys have any movie recommendations or want to talk about movies with us, you can find us on Facebook through our private group, Snazzy Podcast. Snazzy is spelled S-N-A-S-Y. Or you can find us at, at Snazzy Podcast on Instagram, or you can email us at she's not a slut yet at gmail.com. If you guys like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. 
it really helps us get us out there and have more people find us. And we really do want to have people weigh in what they like about these movies, what they don't like about what they're saying, what John's saying about these movies, let's be honest. Um, Pray for me, boys. It's going to be a long, hard month. And all of that. So just as a heads up, we will be reviewing my pick, which is the third installment of the Evil Dead series, but could totally be a standalone movie, Army of Darkness, which was released in 1992. Next. So make sure to tune in again. One of my favorite movies of all time. Um, oh no, I'm gonna ruin it. I'm gonna ruin it, Nadine. Also, I watched this movie before I watched the first and the second one. I actually watched it backwards. So you guys are gonna be watching them backwards again with me. Um, that episode will be released October 14th. All right. I'm gonna go get a beer. Good luck, guys. I'll see you next week. Cheers, cheerio, and all that. Bye. Bye. All right, bye. <laughs> see ya.